my whole team was just because it hasn't been done before it doesn't mean that it can't be done now so I was very strong will he gave me the platform to to put a map in place of how I could actually do it subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts OTB AM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night Edition available now we are uh, talking Champions League and delighted to be joined on the line this morning by the ESPN senior writer Mark Ogden. Morning, Mark. How are things? Hi, Shane. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Good. Thanks a lot for joining us. I know you were in uh, you were in Naples last night for Napoli's exit and AC Milan's progression to the Champions League semi-finals for the first time since 2007. Um, feisty atmosphere, I'd imagine, between these two. Mark, how was how was it on the night? It was. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I obviously I've sat at the time thinking that Napoli would go through. I thought Napoli was a great story, but I, I just think over the two legs, especially last night, they just look like a team that just run out of steam. Um, especially Gerard Scalia, who's been brilliant this season. You know, one of the players of the season, but he's just he obviously missed his penalty last night, and you had the fact that he's now gone six games without a goal or an assist, which he's not like in the season. I just think he kind of sums up what's happened to Napoli. They've just they just had a really really tough, hard season. They're going to win Serie A, but I just think they've hit the wall just when they needed to to kind of push on in the, in the Champions League. Probably highlights how tough it is to, to compete on the two fronts. They, of course, have the, the Serie A uh, title all but wrapped up. So it's 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 one of those things, I guess, Mark, that, that you, as you mentioned, Kavaric Kalia, like he has been brilliant all season, but these these players are going to get tired as well. And, and Ossiman is another who, who has lit the place up. But it, it was tough for them last night. It was, yeah. I mean, bear in mind, they, they were without... Uh, Kimmy was suspended, Anguissa was suspended. They had, I think, they had a couple of players that uh, injured in the first half last night. Austin was playing his first game in, in almost a month. and it, it just felt a bit of a patch-up job. And they, It certainly wasn't the Napa that we saw at the start of the season. I mean, I remember the Liverpool game in, in Naples. They absolutely blew them away. And they just liked that. I mean, they created plenty of chances, but they liked that kind of that zip, that burst of energy which they had. But, you know, in fairness to Milan... Milan, it was like watching the old Milan. It was like watching, you know, Berets and Maldini at times, where they defended, where they were organised. It was just, it was a real kind of classic example of how to defend the lead away from home in the Champions League, and they did that. And it, it was a brilliant display by Milan. And you have to give them credit for that. And I think, obviously, people look forward to their, their semi-final probably against Inter, which is, you know, a massive game. But I do think that the winners will come from the other side of the draw, probably Real Madrid or Man City, to be fair. Yeah, you would imagine it's kind of shaping up that way for sure. Um, you described AC Milan's performance last night in your piece on ESPN as, as smart, and I think that was a, a perfect word to, to summarise it because it, it was just game management at its, be- at its best. Olivier Giroud, once again, Mark, uh, stepping up with, with the goal. He did, and Mr. Penalty is not to be fair, but yeah. a chance, but you know, Giroud just keeps on going. And he, he's a player that he does get better with age, I think the experience he's got and his, his wisdom, and I just think he... He is a perfect player for that. He's quite a young team in places on Milan's side, and I think he just he had something. He, listen, he's not. You look at his, the way he plays, and he's, he's not the quickest, and he's not very mobile. But his goals record is, is, is outstanding. You know, it, it really is. He, you know, he's the top scorer all time for France. And but then you look, but he's no, he's no Thierry Henry. But whatever, whatever it is about, he really scores goals, and, he, and he's there again last night in a, in a big atmosphere. I think, I think for me as well, I think that obviously Osimhen coming back was a big thing for Napoli and. No, Milan just, you know, Pioli's tactics, he had Simon Kier and Ficayo Tomori, uh, Martin Ossiman, and apart from that goal he scored, you know, third minute in stoppage time, it was really quiet. Bear in mind he had been injured, but I just thought Milan did a really good job. And it, it you know, everyone talks about how great it is to watch people like Pat Guardiola's City team and Liverpool and the club, how exciting they are, but it is quite exciting at times to watch a team like Milan defend like they did last night, and it shows you that there is an art to defend, and it's, it's often under praise, I should say, that, that the fact that teams get defending done properly 
Yeah, Mark, I felt they were very defensively solid. That was probably one of the most impressive parts of their game. And I think going forward, like first semi-final since 2007, you know, it's it's exciting times for Milan. It is. Um, you know, like I say, you look at the team, you look at what they're going to say, I'm thinking, you know, the fourth or 20 points behind Naples, how can they be in the Champions League semi-final? But sometimes it's what big clubs do, you know, it, it is, whether it's the, the, the badge or the strip, it, it motivates the players. And, and that, I was in the San Siro last week, I just felt that Milan felt that they were on their own turf. It was like, right, we're Champions League quarter-final, it's our place. And Napoli were kind of feeling the way a little bit, despite the fact that Napoli are the better team. And I just think sometimes when you've got a history of a club like Milan, you just feel comfortable in that in that scenario. And they just look comfortable last night. And I mean, the point I made in the piece last night is that Obviously, everyone talks about the miracle of Istanbul in 2005 and what a great game it was for Liverpool. People don't often talk about what happened to Milan and, you know, for them to go back to the final in Istanbul this year, you know, 18 months later, some sort of redemption, that would be, that'd be a fairy tale for them. But, you know, for a big club, Milan, and I suppose whoever they get in the semi-final as they get to the final, they won't be phased by it. For anyone who hasn't seen the, the highlights, I'd urge you to go back, especially and watch Rafael Leao's run for that, that Giroud goal. He just mm-hmm. takes off and, and, and turns on the turbos. It was brilliant. Um, what, what's the atmosphere, Mark, around Naples when it comes to Victor Osimhen? Because there's all the talk that, that he might be heading off in the summer. Manchester United seem to be the one of the clubs that are certainly being linked with his signature, and, and I guess that's a position in which they need to, to improve. But is the, is the feeling that he will leave? Well... I mean, I, I spoke to a couple of fans in the town yesterday and <laughs> the feeling of the fans is that definitely not, he won't leave it. Whether it's naivety or just being a bit blind to the truth, but I do think that, you know, you talk about 100 million euros at least as a starting point for Osimhen, so that's, that's big money that Napoli probably can't turn down, even if you, you know, win Serie A and get back in the Champions League. And over the years, Napoli have moved players on, people like Cavani moved on, the Betsy, so I think they probably would accept an offer for Osimhen, but, you know, they won't want to accept for Kovacic as well, so it's a case of which one do they sell this summer. But obviously, by Munich need a striker, Man United need a striker, and they're both big clubs with, with, with big money. So, I mean, last night he was he was poor last night, but he he's been out for a month, so you can't really judge him on that. But I do think that you know you look around the strikers that might be available this summer. You're probably looking at Osimhen and maybe Harry Kane, and, and beyond that, you know, maybe Vlaivic at Juventus. But I think Osimhen and Kane are obviously the big two. So. I'd, I'd be very surprised if he stays at Napoli because you know some very big and ambitious clubs chasing his signature. Yeah, and only back from injury as well. Where do you rate him in terms of, well, of the type of centre forward he is? I read reports that he's one of the strongest centre forwards in Europe, maybe behind Haaland at the minute. Would you agree with that, Mark, or where would you rate him? I, I still put him behind Harry Kane. Before, I mean, obviously Haaland at the top, but I, I still put him behind Kane and you know people like Mo Salah, sports of goals. I think with Osimhen, he's, he's got great pace. He's got strength, but I think that there will be a question mark over him, rightly or wrongly, because he's doing Serie A. And I think, you know, it, it hasn't been the, the best league over the years for producing strikers. We all saw, you know, Romelu Lukaku you know, destroyed Serie A a couple of years ago. You know, either side is not doing great at Man United and Chelsea. So I do think Osman's got the, the credentials and the quality to do better than that. But it is, it is a question mark. You'll have to answer that. So can, can he do it in the Premier League where it is so intense? But Harlan's done it. Came with it regularly, so I don't think he'd have a major problem. But I think it is something that, at the moment, he's, he's not quite at the level of Harlem and Kane. You know, Lewandowski, great striker over the years. I think he's, you know, I think time's catching up with him now. But I do think that those are the top two in terms of Harlem and Kane with Osimhen behind those two. The other game last night, of course, Mark, and we touched on it heavily at the top of the show this morning, was uh, Chelsea's exit at the hands of uh, Real Madrid, four 0 in aggregate, and. Um, Look, it's been a rude awakening to, to life as caretaker manager for, for Frank Lampard. Four games now, four defeats, only one goal scored in those four games as well. Um, 
Were you surprised that, that Frank Lampard was the man that Todd Bowley and co went went for, for between now and the end of the season? Well, in, in the real world, I was very surprised. In the Todd Bowley world, I wasn't surprised at anything <laughs> because you just don't know what is coming down the track at Chelsea at the moment because they've made some strange decisions all season, you know, from sacking Grant, from sacking Thomas Tuchel, appointing Grant Potter, it's just been a, a long case of, you know, decisions made without the experience that you need to make them, or the knowledge, maybe. So, you know, the, the idea of bringing Lampard into is to place the old plastic in the, of the ship because he knows the club kind of thing. And it, well, you know, he, he last, I think the last 12 games of everything, last nine, he was sacked at Chelsea two years ago. Frank Lampard has no credentials to manage Chelsea apart from the fact he used to play for them. So, it, it was a it was a bad move, and you know, it's almost like tarnishing Lampard's legacy because it's four straight defeats now. Like you say, I don't know the next game is again. I think it might be Brentford next week, which they could lose as well. So, you know, what they need right now is a win, just a win of any kind, whether it's in the Champions League or anything. So, they're an absolute mess. They're not going to be any kind of European football next season. They've got lots of players to move on. I think Lampard will be well out of it in the summer when he when he finishes his caretaker stint. But I, I just wouldn't trust Todd Bowley and his advisors to get the right manager in in the summer to make them what they need to be which is you know one of the Premier League's top four clubs in a club in the Champions League I know you'd uh, even writing earlier this month about the, the, the names as many as seven names on Chelsea's shortlist they included Nagelsmann Enrique you have Maurizio Pochettino of course in there as well Ancelotti and, and the sporting manager Ruben Amorim being mentioned as well is it still a, a lucrative job because of course they won't have Champions League football next season and yet it's still a massive club and it's in London yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a top job, Chelsea, for all those reasons you say. And, you know, they're at the Champions League, but they'll, they'll aspire to be in the Champions League. And a manager that's a good coach could look at that squad and think there's some really good players here. Just need to get them working as a unit, which might be easier said than done because they've been put together almost like they've been thrown at a dartboard. But it's, um, it's a great job, Chelsea, because it is. It's probably London's biggest club in the eyes of European coaches. I mean, I know Arsenal and Tottenham have got the history, but I think Chelsea because of where it is and because of what it's done in the last 20 years they are, they are at a super club Chelsea so it's a job that out of work coaches will be falling over themselves to get so I don't think they'll have any concerns on that point but you know as you saw with Man United over the years since Ferguson retired you, if you make one bad mistake it leads to another and another and before you know it 10 years ago and you've basically fallen way behind your rivals so that would be my concern if I was a Chelsea fan because Todd Bowling does kind of have similarities to Ed Woodward in terms of making Emotional decisions, decisions that, you know, like I said, don't really have any kind of basis in, in reality. So it's interesting what to watch Chelsea. And can, can I just go back very quickly on the, on the Osterman thing? Cause I, I didn't mention Karen Benzema as the, one of the best strikers, I think, before people say <laughs> Karen Benzema. I've got to mention Karen Benzema. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> he is, absolutely. But even just to, when we were talking about Frank Lampard there, Mark, I often wonder, will this do more damage than good? for his managerial career or whatever he goes on to do after this, you know, it's not a good look. And obviously money talks, you know, he obviously will be well paid for this. But really, in terms of his management career, you can't see it being a a positive experience. No, it doesn't do any good, really. I mean, let's be honest, it it was his reputation is pretty low after Everton because it went really bad at Everton. And, you know, on a personal level, Frank Lampard is one of the good guys. He's, He's a guy that will engage with the fans, with the media, he is. He's not one of these that will kind of be abrupt or aloof. But I've got, you've got to say that Everton went so badly wrong that he, he was very lucky to get the Chelsea job. And if not, actually, do anything to Chelsea to suggest that what happened at Everton was a blip. So I don't know where Lampard goes from here. I really don't. I think it's going to be tough. Him. He's already had his dream job with Chelsea. So 
you know, after after founding Everton, what is he going to get? He's probably not going to get a Premier League job. He ain't going to get the England job, which, you know, that's a good thing or a bad thing for him. And I don't know, I, I just think he'll end up being a, a TV pundit because I just don't see where he goes in, in management. I just think he's got too much too much failure on his on his CV at a young age. You know, he's, he's not really achieved anything, let's be honest. I mean, he, he didn't even get Derby promoted. So, nice guy, good guy, but I just think management isn't for him. We've got a comment in on our, our YouTube channel from David says, can anyone name a club where the owner has publicly involved themselves directly in team performance and it's gone well? What did you make of, of the the dressing room uh, decision by, by uh, Todd Bowley to go in and speak to the players? I mean, some of the reports were saying he was in there for an hour and uh, pointing out certain players' performances, using words like embarrassing. Uh, is, this a, is this a very bad look for Todd Bowley and Chelsea? Well, it's a bad look when they're losing. I mean... I think Lampard made a really good point in his press conference of the day when he was asked about that and he said, look, Roman Abramovich used to come in all the time and that, you know, when he was there mm-hmm. and he was there for 20 years and under Abramovich, Chelsea were pretty successful. So, you know, I think I think Abramovich knew that there's probably a time and a place to go in and, even, and if he wanted to, you know, let us some steam and, and criticise players, he would do it, but he would do it when, when Abramovich did it, he knew that it, it, <laughs> he meant it. With Todd Bowley, he's coming in, he's probably thinking that, now who is this guy? I mean, who, who is he? What has he done to come in and you know, tell us that we're doing things wrong because yes, he's a, the co-owner. Yes, he's a, a billionaire, but his background is baseball, and it's a different sport. And I think the problem is he's coming to football thinking that he can apply the, the methods that he's used in baseball and US sport in, in, in football, and it's just a totally different environment. And I think when you when you come into that dressing room and you start having a go up place, if you had any respect in the first place, you lose it because you're not doing it from a position of strength or credentials. I'd imagine when. Abramovich came into the dressing room that the players were, you know, sat up straight and listening because whatever his faults, the guy had, you know, delivered success at Chelsea and the players knew that his methods were working. With Todd Bowley, none of his methods have worked. So I suppose the players are thinking, well, you can't have a go also making mistakes because you're making them every day. Can I just finally ask you, Mark, before we let you go, um, I know you've been writing about the, the so-called prospective sale of Manchester United. Um, Joel and Avram Glazer increasingly confident of securing this outside investment. Uh, not the news Manchester United fans will want to hear because that would mean that they, they could stay on as, as United owners and potentially uh, look to double the value of the club, as they say, over the, over the next decade. I know there's a, a deadline of April 28th for, for third bids. The word greed is coming to mind here and I'm sure a lot of United fans will, will use that one. Is, is it feeling like it's heading this direction that the Glazers might stay put? Yeah, I mean, I did a piece in February when I, I wrote that the people were contacting the Rain Group, the bank that they were in charge of, and they were telling me that they were kind of sceptical of the Glazers' motives, that they didn't really think they would sell. And honestly, I, I got I got heaps of views on social media from fans about that. But it's, it's not because I wanted it to happen, it's because that's what I was told. So sometimes you have to accept that there can be an uncomfortable truth if you don't like it. And that is the situation with the Glazers right now, that even if you, you just you know, take away your... You know, emotional attachment to it. And you look at the fact that four, I think now four hedge funds and investment banks have, have, have made public their desire to get involved, but it's not to buy the club, it's to help invest and to help support the owners, which is basically enabling the Glazers to stay. So there are six Glazers, as we know, and four of them have, certainly three have had no, no kind of involvement on a day-to-day basis. What The other one, Brian, has kind of removed himself over the years from United. So it's just Abby and Joel, and I'm told that Joel and Avi are just very keen to find a way to keep the club and to run it themselves rather than run it with the voice of four siblings that maybe have different ideas. Now, if, if Avi and Joel think they can, you know, get rid of their siblings and make a success of it, well, all well and good, but they've, they've had 18 years of trying and it hasn't really looked very good, at, you know, certainly the last 10 years. You know, 
So I think the fans may have to brace themselves for the fact that Glazers might stay. And I think one thing that struck me yesterday when Man City announced their plans to extend the Etihad to 60,000 seats and had these artist impressions of what it looked like with this great, you know, arena next to it and everything. It, it looked amazing. The city of, over the years, Abu Dhabi have invested so much at that stadium that it, that it is now to the point where it's going to host games at Euro 2028 and Old Trafford isn't. Old Trafford is <laughs> it's a relic of the past and that's because the Glazers haven't spent any money on it. And it's, and it's similar with the team where they have invested in the team but a bit like Todd Bowley at Chelsea has made some bad decisions with coaches, with players, with, with contracts. So I don't think that they can, Joe and Abby can say, look, give us a chance because we know what we're doing. It's, it's our siblings that didn't know what they were doing. I, I just think they had too long with it. But unfortunately, I just don't see a way that they will offload the club if they're getting offers of investment from American investment banks because the idea of doubling the growth of the club over the years is, is, is just one of those things where you know, we've seen Super League come and go. We've seen other, the Premier League, you know, the, the kind of operation, whatever it was. All these things, that, these big ideas, but at some point, one of these big ideas will come off because the big clubs with the big money are, are going to say, look, this needs to work for us. And one thing I've been told about streaming, that eventually streaming rights will be, will enable the likes of Man United and Liverpool to make an absolute killing on, you know, overseas rights. So, and potentially, you know, the FIFA Club World Cup is down the line as well. That might be more lucrative. So there are ways down the line where you can see Man United's growth and a lot of big clubs growth, you know, growing, doubling maybe. And that's what they want. But, it's like chasing the rainbow, isn't it, with the Glazers? It's like, how long do they want? It's going to 20 years now, and it's, the, the day is approaching a billion pounds. Mm, yeah, Saga rumbles on, real succession vibes off it as the Glazer siblings try and decide who, who's going to do what. Uh, Mark, great stuff as always. Thanks so many for joining us this morning. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Brilliant. Mark Ogden there, senior writer with ESPN. OCB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.